Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Speech Therapy Remembrance, a speech and language therapy podcast by me, Chris Wade, Speech Therapist. Um, I've recorded this episode with different content three times and I have censored myself um, each time because I'm mindful that I don't want to upset people. Um, it's never my intention to, to upset people. Um, and I... <laughs> I'm still struggling as to whether whether this is a something sort of whether I'm allowed or should be talking about, but I'm really concerned about the future of um speech therapy as a profession. Um and I just don't know what to do. Um I I have a voice, we all have a voice. Um I'm not gonna allow voice and I Social media, I'm not. I'm not that loud. There's a lot louder people on social media in terms of the impact they can have when they say something. Um, I have a podcast, set websites, etc. But I don't know. I'm just. I'm really struggling because last year I did kind of my. I kind of broke the record for myself as to how many appeal assessments I did. I set a target of a hundred per year. Um, Last year I did 300. Um, the previous year I think I did 200, maybe 250. I, I, I can't remember. I've got a spreadsheet with all the figures on. Um, and it just seems to be increasing and increasing and increasing. Obviously it can't increase. It's just me. I've got associates. But it's just me doing what I want to do. And I and I knew when I when I had my old company that the, that the number of referrals that are coming in per day, I think we... I don't know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was at least 10 referrals every single day of the week that were coming into the service. There's a reason we had 37 full-time speed therapists working for us. Um, and and I, I'm just really struggling with the... And I, when I, I read a tweet yesterday about how one particular service had cut speech therapist numbers by 40% or there was a 40% reduction in availability and they were already stretched um, and it's just got me thinking like what what are we doing as a profession how can we and everyone's under immense pressure whether they whoever they whoever they pay their mortgage or rent um, we're all under immense pressure to do the best what we can with what we have available even private therapists we're, we're still we're a, we still have limited resource um and the need for speech now is therapy um appears to be increasing um i know it's increasing to the independent market because the amount of cutbacks within kind of public services i have a local authority or nhs and, and the lack of funding going into charities who used to provide services to, as well so we, and then you've got the impact of kind of the impact of lockdown and COVID, um, and the fact that children ha- are presenting with more complex speech language and communication needs, um, and usually have multiple members of a multidisciplinary working with them. And I just I don't know as a clinician what what we can be doing because I'm terrified of what's happening to the profession. Um, and I know we should all, I mean, I, 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 SLT's on the same team, I completely get this. We are all on the same team, we're all speech therapists. 
And I use the word team quite loosely because, as I said in one of my recent tweets, if you're against me in a tribunal, you're not. we're not on the same team. We can't be on the same team because I'm arguing a child needs therapy because their need is for, is for direct and indirect therapy and reviews and programs and training of staff. And you're arguing that the child needs to be discharged or should only have six weeks of therapy and then discharge or review or shouldn't get any direct therapy despite we agree what their need is. And we're not on the same team. We can't be on the same team. Um, we can't have two opposing, very kind of complete polar opinions on, on provision and yet be on the same team. It's, and I, I mean, this is what I, what I worry about with the profession because I know that therapy has an impact that's positive. And I have so many case studies over my very short career of 14 years where I've seen children completely change in terms of the trajectory of where they were going to go without any intervention. And this isn't me bragging in terms of how amazing I was as a therapist. I've seen this with, I mean, I, I had a team of therapists. I've seen, if, if I just reflect on other therapists doing direct therapy and doing indirect therapy and working with teaching teams and having a kind of a personalized eclectic approach, I've seen such a huge impact. And that impacts on everything. It impacts on family life. It impacts on um, the child's attainment in school. It impacts on other children's attainment in school within the same classroom. If you reduce the child's frustration and they present with less difficult behaviors um, or frustrated behaviors, you'll impact not just on that child, but on the other children in the classroom and how much they're able to learn and also on the mental health of the teacher and also on the family. And the, honestly, the, the ripple effect of, of doing the right thing in terms of provision in speech therapy is huge. And the Matrix Report, which was published, what, 12 years ago, showed that for every pound you put into speech therapy, you get more than a pound back, a hell of a lot more than a pound back. And yet, we're at this stage where people are being discharged left, right, and center from skeletal teams and not receiving an adequate amount of speech and language therapy already, um, whether that be via an education healthcare plan, whether a state or through a statement, or whether it's through just a general care pathway of the local speech therapy service not receiving an adequate amount, but receiving a, an amount that's available from a very, very stretched resource. And I'm not pointing fingers at individual therapists because they're using the resource that's available, very stretched resource, and they're working as kind of creatively and flexibly as possible to, to use that resource. And unfortunately, the management of said speech therapy services are being pulled from post to post and commissioners are providing an adequate level of funding for speech and language therapy. But then we've got to look back and say, right, if child A needs XYZ therapy and we can only provide a B and not even C, then should we be honest and say the child needs XYZ? We can provide A and B. They still need X, Y, and Z, though. They still need what I would have given them 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. 
we can't just carry on as a profession recommending what's what's available based on the stretched resource. We have to carry on or we have to push against commissioners and recommend more than what we have available. Because if we only recommend based on what we have, which is exactly what I see in education healthcare plans, exactly what I see in kind of um, children that are not as complex, who don't have education healthcare plans and same as, but have reports from speech therapists based on initial assessments in clinics. And they're, they're getting work on speech sounds or on fluency or on voice or whatever they're getting work on, but they're not, they're not, they're not kind of um, under this special educational needs umbrella and having additional support in school, etc. They're still not getting an adequate level of therapy. And I know this differs from postcode to postcode across the whole of the UK. And that's what has always driven me insane, that there's, there's no kind of equitable service across the whole of the UK because we don't have set guide. We have kind of general guidelines as to what we should, what a child should get. Um, but we, but again, it should be tailored. It should be tailored and personalised to what the child's needs are, anyway. But for a child in one city, because they're autistic, to get no speech therapy, whereas a child in another city, because they attend a special school and there's an in-house speech therapist to get speech therapy um, and have the same needs and the same profile and potentially the same prognosis but completely different tra trajectory it just I just don't know I don't know what to say and yes let's celebrate all these positive interactions that we have as therapists with families and with that with children and kind of show that therapy has an impact but we need to we need 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 if you're gonna if we're gonna be doing any kind of statement this year as speech therapists as to kind of making a, a promise to ourselves and the, to the to the profession, I feel really strongly we need to be promising and publicly stating and in our report stating child needs this. This child needs this amount of therapy. We cannot provide this amount of therapy. I do as a private therapist, independent therapist, whatever you call me. I I. I assess children for therapy, so I do a lot more appeal assessments. But for some children, I'm brought in by the family to assess them, tell them what therapy they need. I'll tell them right at the start, I am not available for therapy, but I can do this assessment. I will tell you what this child needs, and I'm telling you, basing it on my experience as a clinician working across countries, across different clients, not within the same client group, but across these different areas, and I know what will work well with that child and how we will have a positive impact. But I'm not based on what I can provide. I'm not writing a check to myself. I'm recommending something and then saying, right, to the family, right, now go and find someone that can provide it. And I don't know why. I do know why, but I, I think it's wrong that, that all of us aren't doing the same thing. We should, even if, if you have 10 sessions available in your clinic week, and you are seeing children and, and fitting them into them slots because that's what's available, not what that child needs, and then you're using, you're doing the best you can with the resources that are available. But I think we need to be brutally honest right now as a profession and say we need, we need to identify where these humongous gaps are in services. And the only way you can identify where gaps are in services is by recommending what we can provide. And 
continuing to recommend what we don't have availability to provide because when we do that, the gaps become clearer. And if the gap becomes clearer, yeah, we might not get any money, many more money from commissioners, but at least then we're being honest and we're saying, look, this, this child and this group of children need this service. We can't provide it. But then that family received the report and said, right, well, and we, the, the NHS, the local authority, whoever my therapist is, can provide six sessions per year. But they've recommended 18 sessions per year. Right, what can I do as a family to plug that gap? If I can't do anything, I can't do anything. Um, we've got the same issue right now with, with, my, with my daughter. We, we know she needs a particular type of therapy. We know that the, the wait within the NHS is about 18 months to get that therapy. But we've been told by our clinicians that she needs us, and therefore you can wait, or, and she's on the waiting list, or you can look at alternatives. And as a family, because they were honest with us, I know I can look at alternatives. I, I know I can now look at the private sector and find someone who has the right level of qualifications to deliver what that child needs. We should be doing the same all the time. We should be doing the same in speech therapy. Clinicians, if you look at oncology, this is what they do as well. In oncology, you need X, Y, and Z. This is the waiting list for you to receive X, Y, and Z. However, the, however, so this is what you need. This is when you're going to get it. This exact, so you can then go to Booker or whoever your provider is, if you've got private healthcare, and receive what what you need much quicker. I don't know. I'm I'm just really I'm really really struggling with this. So if anyone has any ideas, and I, I'm, this isn't a rant for the sake of ranting. I'm I'm a passionate clinician. I I I I want the profession to to keep going and I just the way that I where that things are going I just can't see how in a decade's time we'll be able to use the title speech and language therapist because there'll be no therapy going on um probably won't be any assessments going on um it'll end up being speech and language consultants where we we literally just <laughs> see, see people and point them in the right direction, but we don't use standardized assessments. We don't have time to do that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really, really, really struggling. Um, so please hit me up with any ideas. And if I, if I need to speak to anybody, let me know. If you tag me into things, I'll, I'll use whatever small voice I have to push issues. Take care, everybody. Thank you.